0: You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. How many's ready for the word today? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19, and I'm gonna begin in verse 11. Luke 19, 11 says this, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because he was supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minus or pounds or money. He said to them, engage in business until I come. The King James says, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned from having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him that he might know what had been gained by doing business. The first came to him saying, Lord, here's your mina. I have made 10 minus more. And he said to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. Verse 18. The second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, are you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are severe man you take what you did not deposit and you reap where you have not sown. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I may have collected interest? He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. He said, the Lord has 10 minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But for those who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. I came to tell you this morning that end times requires faith, belief, and trust in God. The title of this message this morning is Strengthening the Foundations of Our Faith, the Return of Christ. Let's pray. So Lord, we declare that your word is true. I declare let every man be a liar. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we hide your word in our hearts so we would not sin against you. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to breathe upon your logos word. I pray it would become rhema. Let it become alive today. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Lord, I declare right now, no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. So we declare right now, spirit of fear, you have to go. Any religious spirit, you have to go. Holy Spirit, come, rule and reign. We don't make room for you, Holy Spirit, but we give you the entire room. Father, I thank you that nobody came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord, your servants listening. And all God's people said, amen Amen. and amen. we are stewarding a prophetic word over this year, over this house, that it was a year of dunamis, a year of power to strengthen and fortify. We've been talking about that dunamis is when the Holy Spirit's power goes from resting on you to dwelling in you. This is where when you remain in him, you bear much fruit. We've been teaching on foundations of our faith in this season of dunamis that we are strengthening and fortifying the foundations of our faith. So I wanted to teach a message on eschatology or the end days and the reason why is because you will need the dunamis power of God to strengthen and fortify your faith in the last days before I begin to teach today I want to give a few cautions or warnings before we begin and here here are some of them this is a secondary issue it is not a salvation issue and so it's really important that you do not treat this like a primary issue, like for example, the authority of scripture is a primary issue. If you do not believe the scripture is authoritative and infallible, then you are actually a heretic. God's word is the infallible guy. This is not an issue like marriage that is clear as day. God, God created a man and a woman in his image. There's only two genders. And then he brings a man and a woman together in biblical marriage, and that is what he blesses. This is not an issue like salvation. This, This is a secondary issue. And since it's a secondary issue, this is not an issue to divide over. In fact, I would say if you divided over this issue, it would be because you are spiritually immature. Because mature believers could have different vantage points but still honor one another as a brother and sister in Christ. In fact, I have some of my best friends in the world and we disagree on our end time eschatology. We have different views. In fact, you don't even have to have my view to be on our staff. People ask, do you and Heather agree? Heather and I agree almost about nothing. In fact, sometimes I think it's her mission to disagree with me. It's okay if you have a different perspective. Pastor Steve doesn't even know what he believes. He's just hoping by the time he gets to heaven, he'll be better at golf. Here's what's important. It's important that you don't become dogmatic about secondary issues. It's important that, that you don't look so close at something that you don't have the right perspective. And here's the truth is all of us are seeing from a distant perspective, or uh, from a close-up perspective. Here's what I mean by that. To us, when we look at the gospels and we look at the disciples, we're like, it's so e- obvious that Jesus was God. He, he, he told the disciples he was God. He walked and talked with them. He, he, he did miracles in front of them. And after all of that, uh, Peter denied him, uh, Judas betrayed him, Thomas doubted him, and the rest of them besides the women ran. And we look back from here and we're like, hey, it was so obvious, why'd you, why'd you guys doubt God? It's because they were in it. And sometimes when you're so close to something, it's hard to see what it is. We are in the last days. And so, because we're in the last days, go ahead and keep the picture up. Because we're in that last days, you can't see. But here's the thing, when something zooms out, all of a sudden, you have a different perspective. Someone say, last days. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. So this morning, we are going to begin the process of teaching about the last days. Now, I grew up in church. I was a church kid, I was a pastor's kid. I I, I spent almost my entire childhood, young adult years in the house of God. I mean, I went to Sunday night church. I went to Wednesday night church. I went to Tuesday night prayer. I went to Wednesday morning prayer. I mean, I was in church all the time. And what was wild is looking back at my entire childhood of growing up in church, I cannot remember one sermon ever on eschatology or the last days. I would hear statements, I would hear things mentioned and Jesus is coming and the bride and rapture, and I'd hear all these words, but, but it was interesting growing up in the church that, that this eschatology of the last days was assumed, it was just never really taught. And so my goal today is to teach you what I wasn't taught and to bring clarity to what the last days look like. So when I say eschatology, it's important that we understand what I'm talking about. Eschatology is the study of the last days. It's broken up in two parts or main forms of eschatology. The first is the study of heaven and hell. Dr. Brown will be here next week to teach on that. And the second is the final days or the end of human history. So when we talk about eschatology, it's important to understand that we start from a place of sound doctrine where we know what's for sure. So here's what we know for sure. Faith in, in Jesus is what saves us, and he's coming back. Romans ten nine says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We know that we are saved by grace through faith. Someone say, by grace. grace. Through faith. Here's what's important to understand. Your eschatology does not save you. Jesus does. (laughs) Mercy Culture statement of faith found on our website is this. We affirm the bodily and personal second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the saints, the millennium, and the final judgment. The final judgment will determine the eternal status of both the saints and unbelievers determined by their relationship to Jesus Christ. We affirm with the Bible the final state of the new heavens and the new earth. So let's start with the simple outline of what this is gonna look like, that Jesus is going to come back. He is going to return. I wanna give a few definitions of some terms as we teach on this this morning to make sure that we're all on the same page. When we say a phrase like the last days or the end times, people ask me all the time, they're like, hey, do you believe we're in the last days? And the answer is yes, because all of the days after Jesus ascends to heaven is the last days. So we are in the last day. Tell your neighbor, I told you so. The next... Term I want to make sure that you understand is the word tribulation. When I say tribulation, I'm referring to the seven years or the period of time of judgment that takes place at the end of the world. A time where God will reign judgment on the earth. Then we have the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a figure empowered by Satan whose functions as the enemy of Jesus and Christ of the church. 1 John 2, 18 says this, children, it is in the last hour that you have heard the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. What does it mean? Scripture talks about the spirit of an Antichrist. So before the actual person of the Antichrist comes, which I'm not convinced is an actual person or if it's AI yet. Everybody's like, oh, I can't use chat box anymore. Okay. I don't know, we'll find out. But, but, but there's a spirit of the Antichrist. This is a spirit that is the opposite of the Holy Spirit that comes to wreak havoc or evil or wickedness in the world. Church, the spirit of the Antichrist is here right now. It is calling evil good and good evil. It's what's celebrating and championing perversion in our nation. It is a spirit of an antichrist before a physical antichrist comes. The next term I want you to be familiar with is the word millennial. This is the thousand year period or the end of history where God's purposes for the world will be fulfilled. And then finally, the return of Christ or the second coming. When we say the return of Christ, the second coming, or in other denominations known as the second advent, this is the expected return of Jesus Christ at the end of time when he will come to judge the world and usher us in to the fullness of our kingdom. This is important for you to understand. If you believe that Jesus is God, then you must believe he's coming again because he told us so. And this is wild because most people's faith kind of stops in this area right here where you love God, you believe in God, you're trying to serve God, but, but, but it, it kind of just stops in this moment. It's about you and God now, and you forget about what's coming in front of us. It's important you understand this. Jesus is coming back. There's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament about him coming. Eight times more is mentioned about the second coming than his coming the first time. There is entire books of the Bible that are dedicated to his second coming. We see first and second Thessalonians, or you could read chapters 24 of Matthew and chapters 13 of Mark, that are all dedicated to the topic of his second coming. And here's what we know about his second coming. His second coming, or the return of Christ, is personal. Revelations 1 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, all the tribes on the earth on account of him. Even so, amen. Someone say, Every eye. Every eye. It is personal. Every person will have a personal encounter with the coming of Jesus Christ. The second one is the return of Christ is literal. Acts 1.10, and while they were gazing up into heaven, he, Jesus, went. Behold, two men stood by them with white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into the heavens. It is not a figurative coming, It is a physical, the exact same way he left is the same way he's coming down. In fact, if you're going with us to Israel later this year, I think the trip sold out, but if you're coming to Israel with us, you are going to see this place where he ascended and the place where he will descend, watch. And one day he will take his place, walk through the Eastern gate or the mercy gate and take his place on the mercy seat. It will be a literal coming. You know how literal this is? The Muslims know that the Jews won't touch dead things. So this is actual true. If you go to Israel with us, you will see that they put a graveyard in front of the Eastern Gate and they've been burying people there for uh, hundreds and hundreds of years trying to stop the return of Christ. But I got bad news for them and good news for us that when he comes, so will the saints rise from the dead. Watch, and he will march his way through that eastern gate to the mercy seat. You cannot stop the literal coming of Jesus. Not only personal, not only is it literal, but the return of Christ is public. Revelations 1, again, it says this, behold, you know what behold means? Look. Pay attention to this. Every eye will see. It will not be a secret. It will be not a quiet moment. You won't have to wonder, did Jesus come? Everyone in the world will know what's going on because it will be very public. Uh, Another uh, verse in Revelations talks about coming like lightning. The skies will open. This will be a public demonstration of the goodness of God. The return of Christ is going to be glorious matthew twenty five thirty one when the Son of Man comes in his glory all of the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne Colossians 3 four says when Christ who is in your life appears then you will also appear with him look at this in glory Jesus is our glorious hope Titus two thirteen says waiting for our Blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know what the blessed hope means? The blessed hope is the manifestation of glory. Now, when I use the phrase blessed hope and glorious hope, uh, if you're under 40, that's probably not that a big deal for you. But if you're over 40, you're probably getting more excited than younger people. And the reason why you're probably getting more excited, about, more excited than younger people isn't about the language of blessed hope and glorious hope as old-fashioned words. It's because this generation has turned away from his glory. It's turned away from his holiness and turned towards perversion and wickedness. So this generation, watch, is more comfortable with perversion than we are glory. We are more familiar with perversion and wickedness. So I've noticed this next generation, they don't have this desire of a blessed hope to be with Jesus. Here's what it means to desire his glorious return, his blessed hope. It means this, until you get to be with him in person, you want to be like him. Until I get to be in glory with you in your holiness, I'm going to pursue to be like you in your holiness." See, what we've done for the last 20 years is we've told people not to judge us. We've told people not to speak into our lives. Just let my, all sins the same. Let me stay in my sin, you stay in your sin. And we will all be lukewarm together. And we've gotten so comfortable. And then pastors fall and do wacky things. And we make excuses and we restore people to ministry rather than restoring them back to Jesus. And we have this compromised lifestyle in the church. And we've made holiness something that's old fashioned or religious. I hate to tell you, but holiness will never be religious. It is one of the greatest places of spirituality you could ever be, is to be like Jesus. But well, we're carnal. We've embraced perversion. We've embraced wickedness. Watch Christians defend it. And sometimes I just wish that you would defend the Holy Spirit, like you would your sin. where We're not defending God's word. We're defending our compromise. No Christian wants to be judged. That's funny because that's what he's coming back to do. And if you allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to judge you or hold you accountable now, what it will do, it will help you to be ready for when the king of judgment comes. Listen, it's not trying to control you. It's not trying to manipulate you. It's not trying to be religious. It's the iron that sharpens iron that helps each other, strengthen each other. It helps us produce fruit. It helps us to live Christ-like lives. Amen. 2 Timothy 4 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward, award to me on that day. Not only to me, but to all who loved his appearing. Let me ask you this question Do you agape his appearing? Do you long for his appearing? You know, it's wild because if you talk to older saints, they can't wait for the Lord to come back. And if you talk to younger people, they can wait. And the reason why is because their fame, their lives, their callings are more important than Jesus's. So I'd hate for Jesus to come back and get away with what I'm called to do. When really what you're called to do is to be like him. And you will never be more like him than when he comes in his glory. Here's what we know, church. We know he's coming. We don't know the timing of his coming. There was a book that came out, I believe it was in 1988. It was like the 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 88. And it sold really well in 87 and 88, but for some reason in 89, it just tanked. I remember living in Arizona where I met Pastor Steve and Esther and and, uh, there was billboards all over the city when we first moved there about Jesus' return was on May 20th or 21st or something like that of 2010 and, and, and they spent millions of dollars on billboards all over the city to warn the people of Arizona to get ready that he was coming. What a waste. And if you would have just read Matthew 24, 36, you would have known that no man knows the hour. So, warning when anyone thinks they know it all. Here's what Jesus says But concerning the day and the hour, look at this, no one knows. Who knows? No one knows. To your neighbor, and say, You don't know. Tell that know it all, neither do you. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Then Mark thirteen twenty one says, if anyone says, look, there's Christ, do not believe it. You won't have to hear someone say, look, there he is. You will hear him for yourself. So we don't know the hour, but we can know the signs. I'm turning 40 next month. And you may not know the date, but you'll start seeing the, t- the signs. There's gray in the beard. There's squiggly things on my eyes. I used to be able to sneeze and have a six pack. Now I have to go on a 40 day fast and it's still barely there. There are signs, watch, that I'm aging. There are signs that that, that the Lord is coming. Even though we don't know the hour, we do know the signs of the time. Three signs the Bible gives us. Number one is it will be sudden. First Corinthians 15, 52 says, in a moment or in the twinkling of the eye, the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Second one is we will see evil abound. Second Timothy three, verse one says, but understand this, in the last days, we will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its dunamis power. Here's what it says, avoid such people. Did that not describe America? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They got the Grammys with unholy on here too. Second Peter 3.3 says this, knowing the first of all scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, look at this, following their own sinful desires. Church, we are in the beginning stages of last days. You could feel it in the atmosphere. The world is growing, not only more wicked and wicked, but wicked is more desired and loved. You know, last week in my home state of Washington where I'm from, they just uh, submitted legislation that would cause parents to be arrested or prosecuted if they tried to stop a sex change of a minor. You're like, oh, I can't believe it. Well, well. How come we can't believe it with what we've seen go on? So let me get this straight. The goal is to kill the babies in the womb and if they can't accomplish that, then we'll try to indoctrinate them. And if we can't indoctrinate them fast enough, then we'll prosecute parents that are trying to protect them. And you'll say, well, that's not gonna happen in Texas. Well, it will if the church stays out of everything. It will if you just be a Sunday Christian. It will if you believe the lie that you shouldn't be involved and and heaven is my home and what does it even matter? How do we fulfill the second greatest commandment and love our neighbor if we're not protecting those that can't protect themselves? We are living in evil times. The third one is this, global disturbances. Matthew chapter 24, verse three says, and he sat at the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And when will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? Verse four, and Jesus answered them, see that none of, no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. For you will hear of wars, rumors of wars, so that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse eight. And these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. They will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness increase or abounds, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Everything I just read to you, Jesus said, those are the beginning of the birth pains. We have three children, and uh, when you're first prayed it, you're really excited, and, and you don't, haven't experienced it before, and, and everything's exciting, and you feel the baby and felt the kick, and all the different stuff, and you're going through the journey of it. And, and I remember when Heather and I were uh, uh, about to give birth, or she was, about to give birth to Peyton, and, and all of a sudden, she started having contractions. And she was like, whoa. I felt, whoa, I felt, we better go to the hospital. We go to the hospital and we're like, how far dilated we are? They're like, you're negative (laughs) 100. We're like, I've never heard of that before. They're like, go home. They're like, but if you want to speed up labor, you can walk more. And so we started walking and going on walks. We walked around the hospital, walked around the area. and, And that's actually where we came up with the idea for the Justice Run. We walked so much with Peyton and... And, and then a few more days are going by and the contractions are increasing. And, and, and we knew it was time when it went from whoa to whoa. whoa. I remember Heather's having a contraction. I'm like, you're doing good, babe. I'm, I'm trying to rub her back. She's like, don't touch me. <laughs> Jeez. Watch. The birth pains intensified when the baby was coming. Jesus said the wars, the famines, the earthquakes, the global disturbances are the beginning of the birth pains. We know that he's coming. We don't know the hour, but we must be ready. Tell your neighbor, get ready. Matthew 25 is the parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. You can go and read it for yourself in your notes that is is on the note page. But it's a story that five were ready and five were not ready. And what was the difference between the ones that were ready and the ones that weren't ready is people that are ready operate in wisdom. Let me give you some practical advice. Ask the Lord every day for wisdom and discernment. I don't believe that there was enough wisdom and discernment as we just went through COVID. And it's interesting because growing up in church, I'd hear old timers say all the time, he's coming any day, he's coming soon, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. And I'm like, nah, I don't think he's coming for a long time. And then we went through COVID, I'm like, he might be coming soon. (laughs) This thing escalated real fast. (laughs) Some of you are like, pastor, do you think the vaccine was the mark of the beast? Yes. Just kidding, just kidding. I got her, I got her. (laughs) I got her, it's okay, you were baptized today, you're good, you're good, don't worry about it. Okay, watch, watch, watch. My bad, I'm sorry, I love everybody. Okay, don't worry, like take a breath, take it, breathe in, breathe out, okay? <laughs> Just messing. How do you know it's not the vaccine? You can still buy and sell and trade. But I believe that there was a conditioning factor in it. To get people used to, you better, you're gonna lose your job, you're gonna lose this, you're gonna do watch fear. And if we're honest, I think that the church and a lot of Christians called their behavior wisdom when it was really just fear. Because it's really not wisdom to drive alone in your car with the mask by yourself. Okay, hold on. Be nice, I'm trying. I remember walking to a restaurant one day. Uh, I was a coffee shop in Waco and they're like, sure, you have to wear a mask. And I was like, well, no one in here is wearing a mask. And they're like, yeah, but they're sitting down. I'm like, so COVID's only for short people? I, I, I'm missing the logic here. Well, but, hold, but hold on, but... but how, how many people responded not in wisdom? And many of you ended up in this church because we weren't participating in an economy of fear. Hold on, hear this today. Let me give you some practical advice. Ask God for wisdom every day. Every day, ask him for wisdom and discernment to steward the last day's wealth. I'm gonna give you three primary views on eschatology, the study of the last days. All of these views fall into categories of Jesus coming before the millennial, thousand year reign, after the millennial, or no millennial at all. So in evangelical Christianity, there's three primary views of eschatology. Remember, this is secondary, and it's not worth breaking discord or fellowship over. The first is premillennialism. Premillennialism is Jesus is coming back before the millennial reign for a literal, excuse me, Jesus is coming back before the millennia, the thousand year reign of Christ. So this view is Jesus is coming before the millennial. This has two different theologies to it. The first is what we call historical premillennial or post-tribulation. This is the belief that at the end of the age, Jesus returns in his glory to catch us up to meet him as he comes to set up his millennial kingdom here on the earth. Now, in the 1800s, a secondary theology came out called Pre-tribulation. Pre-tribulation believes that Jesus is coming at any moment for a secret rapture of his church, followed by hell on earth and the return of Jesus for the millennial kingdom. Those are both theological views under premillennialism. The second is postmillennialism. This is the whole world will become Christianized by bringing in God's kingdom on earth after Jesus' return. So a simplified uh, version of this is everything is gonna get way, way, way better than Jesus will come. The third is the all view. This is the kingdom of God is entirely spiritual. It is here and now. When Jesus returned, we will go with him into eternity. Satan has already been loosed, we're already in the tribulation, and there is no actual millennial reign. Now, my personal view is historical premillennial. I believe that Jesus is gonna come. I believe that there will be tribulations, there will be an antichrist, there will be wars, there will be things that we will go through and then Jesus is going to come after that. Then he's going to come and he's gonna set up his reign on earth and we will rule and reign with Jesus. Now, hold on a second, because there's a lot of people here that are like, what are you saying, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna say. I grew up in a spirit-filled, non-denominational, charismatic, Pentecostal background. And it was assumed in our denomination that you're just pre-trib. And like I told you, I was never in one service ever where eschatology was taught. There was an actual teaching of this, but you would just hear bits and pieces and fragments. And so as I got older, I was like, no, no, I, I, need, I need to understand this. And so I started asking questions about what I grew up being taught about a pre-trib rapture. And as I asked more questions, the more answers I got, the more confused I became. And I'm a simple guy, I like simple answers, and I just want things to be simple and clear. It's really easy, we're bad, God's good, he saved us. It's awesome, like I got it, the gospel, yes. I couldn't do it for myself, he did it for me. I've never been good enough, he's good enough. He doesn't save us to make us good, he saves us because he's good, he is so good. I got it, it's simple, the gospel's simple. So why when it comes to eschatology does it get really complicated and confusing? So I'm gonna give you right now some of the troubles that I had with this pre-trib explanation. The first is this. You cannot come up with this theology on your own without outside help. Here's what I mean. I cannot see a pre-trib theology with the Bible itself. For you to have even an awareness of pre-trib theology, someone must tell you what it means or what it says outside the scripture. For example, when I read the gospels, I see Jesus came, was born of a virgin. He did many miracles. He died on the cross. He was dead. He became alive. He rose again, and he said, he's coming back. I got it. I don't need an outside text to explain that to me. But when you begin to try to learn about the pre-trib rapture, just on the Bible itself It doesn't say that, and it doesn't make sense. So it has to come from an outside source that would be assuming or taught through scriptures, not from the scripture itself. Are you following me? So where did we get this pre-trib theology? Well, it started in a revival in Glasgow, Scotland, where there were some young girls that had some visions or a a revelation that we would not suffer the wrath of the tribulation. There was a reverend named John Nelson Darby who believed this vision was from the Lord. He began to teach a theology based around it. He made his way from Scotland to the United States and he was a known associate of a man named Dwight L. Moody of the Moody Bible Institute or Moody Publishing. This popular Theology began to rapidly spread throughout America. There was books that were written on it. There was sermons that were taught about it. Even later on, there was a, a, a Bible called the Schofield Bible that began to take this theology and put it in not only the references of the Bible, but the headings of the Bible. So when someone was reading the Bible, it would say the rapture of the church and they would begin to read about this rapture in their Bible. So when the average lay was reading the Bible, they would say, "Hey, my Bible told me this." Then there was movies called uh, "Left Behind" that came and spread. And all of a sudden, through media, it's this this, this theology started spreading through conferences, mainly in the Spirit filled, charismatic, Pentecostal denominations. Later, some other seminaries got together and built doctrines around it, and it became widespread and known. But here's the thing. We call the opposite of the pre-trib. We call it historical post-trib for a reason. It's because historically up to the 1800s, no one believed this. So if you study St. Augustine of Hippo, if you study Lutheran, if you study Calvin, if you study the fathers of the faith, none of them adhered to a pre-trib theology. So when we say historical, what we're talking about is historically, the pre had no pre-rapture. It only had a post-rapture. So this was not originally believed in mainstream Christianity. That's the first reason. Number two, I believe it's a fear-based theology and I do not adhere to fear-based spiritual warfare. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God, sorry podcast, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-control. So I do not adhere to fear-based warfare. I do not believe that you fight spiritual warfare in fear. So why would we engage in the end days where we're gonna need the greatest amount of spiritual warfare in fear? Where you could say, well, it's not fear. Well, escapism is fear. That you don't wanna go through anything, and so you just think that you're gonna escape, and that you're not gonna go through anything, and that everything's gonna be okay, and everybody can turn or burn. And it doesn't matter what everybody else goes through because you are gonna be raptured out ahead of time. Number three, the same scriptures that are pre-trib, rapture supportive scriptures that people say, all describe the second coming. Say that again. Every scripture that people categorize as a pre-trib rapture scripture If you just took off pre-trib rapture and put on second coming, it speaks directly to the second coming. There's no distinguishing text of any about a rapture and a second coming. They're inseparable. So every scripture that someone says is about a pre-trib rapture, if you go study it in its context, every one of them is about the second coming, not a pre-trib rapture. So no passage in the entire Bible says the church is taken out before tribulation. Not one. And every time you ask questions about this, they start bringing up red heifers or dreams in Daniel, or they start bringing out blasts of shafars or all these other things. Like, no, 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 just, just make it simple, friends. There's no scripture that says that. Number four, this is my primary reason, is it can cause people to lose their faith. There was a prophetic warning at the beginning of the year over this house that no one would stumble and lose their faith. It's something that we're stewarding. In fact, I had people tell me, I don't preach about this on a Sunday morning, you know, it's not important, it's not a primary issue. And, and, and I really felt because God gave us this prophetic word to steward about no one losing their faith, that this needed to be a part of the Dunamis series of strengthening and fortifying your faith. Here's why, It's because if you do not go into the end days with wisdom and open eyes, there's a chance you could experience something that would cause you to lose your faith. Have you ever bought a house or a car or something expensive and the salesman over-promised and under-delivered? Has it ever left a bad taste in your mouth where you said, I, I, I'm never doing business with them, I'm never going there again, and, 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 and you're frustrated because what they said would happen didn't happen? That's what could happen if you adhere to a theology, if you adhere to an end times perspective that doesn't quite line up with God's word, you will think that God is a liar instead of a man potentially did not articulate his heart well. Give the example, Corey Ten Boone, a famous missionary, wrote about this experience that happened in China where missionaries were in China, the pre-trib uh, theology was spreading around the world. So they were teaching to the Chinese church pre-trib theology. Well, when Mao came and ruled, they kicked out all of the Christians and they started brutally persecuting the church. There was beheadings, there was murders, there was all sorts of stuff. There was great, great persecution. Well, the, the Chinese church thought the missionaries and all the Christians of the world were raptured up and they weren't taken and they had to stay. And so it caused this great shaking in a faith, in a culture. And later, when the Iron Curtain came down and and, and, uh, missionaries were allowed back in, they're like, okay, we're here to help and and, and, and to evangelize to you again. And the Chinese church is like, no, we're good. We got it from here. Where were you guys when we needed you? Here's the thing there was persecution with the apostles. There's been persecution all around the world. And unfortunately in America, we've been in this soft shell of a country where we've been protected by our our laws. We've been protected by our, our constitution, which we're freely giving up right now. And so we've had this barrier of defense because our nation was built on Christian values and so we've had the government that has set up to protect us but what we're going to see happen as we are stripping away the laws and the freedoms of our land we're going to see persecution intensify over time now let me just be honest with you for a second I'm sharing the story of how I came to this but I am 100% open with being wrong in fact, I will high five every single one of you on the way up if we're wrong. So this 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 isn't this isn't something, listen, that I'm dogmatically holding on to. I'm showing you what I what I see in the word of God. And what I see in the word of God is that despite what happens, God promises to be with us. Let me give you some misunderstandings of the pre-trib eschatology. Number one, they say we will not go through God's wrath. And there's many of you that have been sitting there saying what about the wrath, what about the wrath, what about the wrath, is he gonna talk about wrath? Clarence, he better talk about wrath. I'm gonna talk about wrath right now for you. We will not go through God's wrath, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's two definitions for wrath in the Greek. One is thumos, which means anger. The other is orge, which means catastrophic judgment. And the two are used side by side. So it's actually unknowable, unrecognizable in the text to determine when they're saying the wrath of God, will it be? a final judgment or his anger. When Paul speaks to us, God protecting us from his wrath, there's no indication he's speaking of a tribulation, but to God's destruction at Christ's return. The tribulation is not the only time God poured out his wrath on the world. John 3:36, the most famous scripture in the Bible is John 3:16. We read it last week. 10 verses down, it says this: Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Scripture is clear that the wrath of God is in store for everyone who rejects him in a final judgment. We see the word tribulation in the Greek philipsis over 40 times in the New Testament. And it's, we, here's what we know about tribulation. We will go through tribulations and trials. The church and the people of God will not escape trials, persecution, and tribulation. Acts 14, it says this, strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. So here we go. This is important. Some of the worst theology is built in empathy towards someone instead of a certainty or clarity in God's word. So here's where bad theologies come from. I couldn't imagine God allowing us to go through a tribulation. So therefore I'm gonna build a theology around what I can't empathize with. Oh, we do the same thing. Oh, if God, I can't imagine God not wanting two people to love each other, even though it's a fleshly, wicked love, but but we call it love and and, and we paint a rainbow on it, call everything love, and we don't even know what love is anymore. And So I can't imagine God not wanting everything to be love because God is love. Well, God is love, but everything that's love is not God. But people say, I can't imagine, and then they build entire theologies around it. And when you ask them to give you one scripture, they can't because they came up with the theology from empathy instead of scripture. This is important though, because some people are like, oh, oh, Landon, you're just, you're just mean. God, I, God is love. No, well, let's, let's define love, it's choosing. Love is a perfect love, it's agape love, it's a choice. So when, when he doesn't feel like going on the cross, I'm so glad he chose to love us. Listen, how many have been married for some time and sometimes you don't feel like loving? Oh, we just fell out of love. Will you stop choosing then? Because love is a choice. That's why you stand before God and you stand before your peers and you say in good times and bad, in sickness and in health. Listen, I might, it might always not feel like a honeymoon, but I'm making watch a choice to love this is important church because we have created theology from empathy where we say I can't imagine instead of God's word saying I just can't imagine God just not wanting us to just be there's no junior Greek male or female I just can't imagine him not wanting me to just be the gender I identify with I can't imagine is not good theology It's found in his word. Are you here with me? Next one. huh? If we aren't called to any kind of wrath or persecution, then what do we say to all the martyrs that have gone before us? What kind of potential narcissistic viewpoint is to think that you may be the only generation that doesn't suffer anything? So... The disciples suffered, and they considered it joy to suffer. They still remained in joy in persecution. People in other countries are suffering, but you are the only elect of God that will never suffer anything. Well, that's a convenient theology. And we've replaced pick up a cross and follow me with pick up a pillow. Watch, and we've created... Persecution proof theologies. All but it makes sense because you've been told for the last 20 years that it just doesn't matter. God just loves you no matter what. You want to live your best life. You're successful. You're awesome. You get participation trophies. You're the best ever. You are so amazing all the time, no matter what. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. That's why so many people had a hard time with the concept of easy in his presence. Because it doesn't mean you don't go through hard things. It means everything is easy in his presence. It means that you can go through loss, Pastor Steve. You can go through hardship. You can go through things that you're like, I don't know how I would get through this in the natural, but you don't go through them just in the natural. He truly is close to the broken hearted. Something happens supernaturally when you just stay in the presence. John 16, last one, look at this, this is wild. Not last one, I got a bunch more, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Jesus said, I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulations. Look at this, Jesus, you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So how, how, how do you begin to reconcile, God loving us, but we might go through wrath. And here's how I look at it. Just because the world is going through wrath and tribulations doesn't mean that God does not protect his people. Watch, in the same way that Egypt was going through the judgments of God through the 10 plagues, Israel was protected. The same way the world was being destroyed in the days of Noah. Noah and the righteous ones were being protected. The same way that Abraham and his entire family, and Abraham was the father of righteousness, so his entire family was protected as God was destroying Sodom. Watch, this is important to understand. Just because their world is going through wrath does not mean God's people are not protected. I hear this all the time. Well, well, what about the the bowls of judgment? And what about when God destroys one-fourth of the earth? Who says that's you? It does not say he destroys everybody. It does say broad is the road to destruction. It does say narrow is the gate to eternal life. Watch, I believe God is so good. I believe he's so kind. I believe he's so powerful. Watch, that he can protect his people in the midst of calamity. This is wild, John 17, 15. Jesus prayed his prayer over his disciples before he's arrested. Look what Jesus prayed over his disciples. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. I believe that this is what will happen in the end days. And this is why I'm not afraid. This is why I don't have fear because perfect love casts out fear. And I love him and I trust him. And I know that no matter what I go through, he will be glorified in my life. Can the church say amen? (laughs) Number one, the wrath of God. Number two, misunderstandings in pre-trip theology. Jesus is coming, but then he's coming again. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen and 17 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be always with the Lord. The prob- one of the problems with the pre-trib theology is that when Jesus comes in the rapture for the second coming, it means that he's gotta come back again for a third coming, that it doesn't talk about. So there's no discussion of a third coming. There's just a discussion of a second coming, but in the rapture, he came, but he didn't come fully. The scripture for caught up in the air is the Greek word harpazo, which the Latin borrows for the word raptures, which we get our English word rapture. So we have to look at harpazo for the meaning. Herpobzo means to forcefully snatch up suddenly, decisively, like one seizing bounty, to take open an open display, not covertly or secretly. So if Jesus comes back to rapture the church, it means he has to come back again for the second coming, which would make it the third coming, not the second coming. Matthew 24, 27 says, for as the lightning comes from the east shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. That word coming is the Greek word parousia. It means this, a presence of coming or an arrival. It's the second coming of Christ. It is arrival of a military greeting. This is important. The word parousia means an arrival. So when they say he comes in the rapture, they have to, they have to define it as uh, parousia, which is an arrival, which means this. He would have to come a third time. They're like, well, he's caught up in the air. Well, scripture says he is caught up. It's the word parousia, which means an arrival, which means this, he has to arrive. It's not an arrival if he didn't arrive. So the rapture of the church is the going up to greet him. It's a military term. It's the same way that, that the people would come out of the city to meet the king as he went out to war and he would welcome him back in the city. It's a mirror to Jesus coming into Jerusalem on on, uh, Palm Sunday when they went out to greet him and welcomed him back into the city. It is an arrival. So the word used to describe a rapture is an arrival. And if you have to come again, it means there's three comings. When scripture says that there's only two. The other misunderstanding is that pre-trib makes it sound like it's a secret. It's the secret rapture. You don't know when it's coming. Like a thief in the night. They quote 1 Thessalonians 5.2, he'll come like a thief in the night. But the problem is, is no verse says it's a secret. Every verse about a second coming says it's loud in public. Romans one17 I've read it twice already. Behold, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him. Acts 1 speaks to it. Matthew 24 speaks to it. Revelations 19 speaks to it. Jesus' second coming is not a secret, but it's a moment of glorious appearing for the church. And here's what's important for you to understand as your eschatology matters because it will influence how you live your life. Let's close with our story in Luke chapter 19. Worship team, you can come join me. Luke chapter 19 is Luke's perspective of Matthew 25's parable of the stewards or the talents. It's a message of stewardship in the kingdom. It's the last teaching of Jesus before the entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He's teaching if you're faithful with little, he will make you ruler over much. Jesus tells him in Luke 19, 13, he says this. He said, occupy till I come. When I read this this week and I read Occupy Till You Come in the King James, it literally jumped off the page at me. Occupy Till I Come. I believe the Lord is giving these end day church a strategy on how to steward the last days where he doesn't say, I'll just wait for your pantheology for it all to pan out and everything's gonna be okay. I'll just wait for the bad things to happen to other people. No, Jesus gives this parable about the master leaving for some time. Jesus has left us for some time, but the master is coming back, watch, and he's entrusted his people with talents. He's trusted his people with resources. He's trusted his his people with power, and he's coming back, watch, to take an account. But here's what he said. He said, church, occupy till I come. You know what that word occupy means? It means to be about your daily work. It means to do business. It means to improve on your situation. It means to not play it safe. It means to not just bear fruit, but to bear much fruit. It's this, list. it's this, it's you're not just going and letting life happen to you. It's you're taking everything that God has given you and you're serving God with everything you have. It is saying this, it is doing everything that you possibly can, watch, to serve the Lord faithfully, Faithfully while he's gone, because he's coming back. And church, I'm asking you today, are you ready for his return? Now I didn't say is your theology ready. It's not what I asked. I said, Are you ready? Are you living faithful? Because what happens when the master comes back? Who And you're not faithful with your morals. You're not faithful with your family you're not faithful with your resources what happens when you've been building your empire not his kingdom what happens when you've been using your creativity for you not for him what happens when you haven't used your resources in your gifting what happens when you haven't been serving some of you've been going to this church for years and you haven't served ever are you serving faithfully are you building his house are you doing everything in your power to make yourself ready are you living holy lives are you looking more like him on a daily basis in that process of sanctification is your life reflecting God are you growing in the ways of God are you growing in the things of God or are you backsliding year after year are you falling from Sunday to Sunday month to month year to year you grow in faith and shrink back you grow in faith and shrink back because scripture says those that shrink back in faith I have no delight in them but listen he is pleased by our faith this is what I came to tell you today is in order for you to be ready for the end times you must be occupying I feel a Holy Ghost rebuke coming on me for you. And I want you to hear this as a loving father, but here's the rebuke. I was only given one thing. I was only given one talent. I'm not that gifted. I don't do what these other people do. I I, I don't have many gifts in my life. Listen, there's not one human being in this room that doesn't have a talent that doesn't have a resource, that doesn't have a gift. And here's what you're doing. It. You've allowed your theology to allow you to become the wicked, lazy servant. And instead of serving God with your one, you put it in the ground. Listen, it doesn't matter what one you be given. God's not going to judge you from taking one to 10. He's going to judge you from taking one to two or two to four, five to ten, ten to 20. Listen, it is your job to steward and occupied not look around and judge yourself on what someone else got or what some other family has or what inheritance they have or what line they came from or whatever isn't fair in your life here's what scripture says you will be judged by what you do with what he's given you i've come to ask you as your pastor i didn't say is your theology ready i'm asking you is your life ready Here's what occupy means. You ready for this? It means to produce fruit in all seasons. Occupying is when you produce much fruit through faithfulness. Ah, the American church has been distracted by gifts instead of seeing the beauty of faithfulness. I can to ask you, are you faithfully serving the Lord? This is why we need his dunamis power. We need him to strengthen and fortify. And despite what your belief, your end times theology or eschatology What matters is, is you are ready for the king when he comes. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all over this place? The end times will require faith, believing and trusting in God. Mm. Right now, right where you're at, why don't you just pray his dunamis power over your life right now? Just pray for his dunamis power. You can stand your feet if you want pray right now his dunamis power. Ask him to strengthen and fortify your faith. There's going to be something special that happens in this service. Ask him to strengthen and fortify your faith. Every online campus, every Mercy Culture community, our new community in Austin, right now, open your mouth. Just begin to ask him for his dunamis power. Don't whisper it. Pray it out loud. Father, I ask you to strengthen and fortify my faith. I ask you to f- strengthen and fortify my faith. I'm reminded of the prophetic word that no one loses their faith this year. That no one loses their faith this year. I pray that nobody would be rock this year. Father, our faith is in you. It's not in our theology, it is in, it is in you. It is in you. It is in you. It is in you. It is in you, Jesus. I thank you Jesus that you died. I thank you that you resurrected. I thank you that you ascended and I thank you, King Jesus, that you're coming again. I thank you Jesus that you're coming again. You are the comeback king and you're coming again. I pray right now for your dunamis power to come upon your church that we would be made ready. I pray that we would be faithful. I pray that we would be faithful that we'd be faithful to steward everything that you put in our hands faithful to steward our families faithful to steward our businesses faithful to steward our communities faithful to steward this nation father i pray right now that you would come back for a faithful bride that is ready Uh, uh, i want to share this last story When COVID happened, we just didn't participate in the economy of fear. But you're seeing with the decisions that are being made in our nation, with these catastrophic accidents that are destroying food distribution places, just stuff constantly, decisions that are being made in our economy, everybody's projected negative things. And I was at our Waco campus in worship And I heard the Lord speak to me and says, the economy doesn't apply to you. And I was reminded of our journey in COVID. And I was reminded of the children of Israel in Egypt and in the wilderness, watch, that faith was their provision. And I want to prophesy over you, Mercy Culture Church, and the members of the uh, Mercy Culture, that the economy doesn't apply to you. I pray that you would be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. I pray that you would participate in the kingdom economy. I pray that faith would be your weapon. Faith would be your resource. I pray right now in Jesus' name that the Lord would keep you. I pray that he would bless you. I pray he would provide for you, and in trials, and in tribulations, and even forms of wrath. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit's power would keep you in Jesus' name. I remember the prophetic word. That we would survive, and not we wouldn't survive, but we would thrive at the beginning of COVID. And I believe that there's another wave of that. I believe that there's another wave of that. I I I I, I hear this multiply and produce. I hear it multiply and produce. I believe that there's a prophetic word over this house of occupy. I I believe that there's a prophetic word. I believe that God is raising up faithful stewards to steward your businesses, to steward your families, to steward His house, to steward this house, to. Steward this ministry to steward our cities to steward government to steward politics I pray right now that we would be a faithful people That would say yes Lord send us we're ready to do what you called us to do and say what you called us to say and go where you called us to go we are ready to occupy put your hands as high as you go all over this place ask the Lord for the gift of faith right now ask the Lord for the gift of faith Here's what I just saw. I saw there was something specific that you were having a hard time believing for. When you put your faith up to it, your faith shrinked back. There's a specific thing, a scenario, a healing, a business, something you're believing for, I saw it. And when your faith went near it, your faith shrank back here's what I saw. I saw you putting faith on it. Put your hands all over this place. I want you to focus right now on what is the thing that has made war against your faith. Focus on it right now. What is the thing, your restored marriage, a healing, whatever it is, and I want you right now out loud to put the gift of faith on it. Ask the gift of faith to fall on it right now. Ask the gift of faith to come, the actual gift of faith. I pray right now, let the gift of faith come. I pray let the gift of faith. I pray right now faith for it. I pray 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 faith would arise. I even feel like some people in their physical bodies that you've said, I'm losing faith for it. I pray the gift of faith would come. I pray the gift of faith would come for marriages. The gift of faith would come for prodigals. The gift of faith would come for our nation. Some of you have lost hope for America. I pray the gift of faith would come. I pray the gift of faith would come for that ministry that you thought was lost. I pray right now, let the gift of faith come. Come on, someone lift your hands and pray right now down faith. Come on, let faith fall down. Let faith fall down. Let faith fall down. I pray that occupy by faith in Jesus' name. Let faith fall down. in the band's intimacy. Close your eyes tight, all over this place. Whatever that thing was, just tell it right now. Say, Lord, you're greater. Lord, you're greater. You are greater. Just breathe in the presence of God all over this place, he's here. not going to call you forward, but if there's anyone who's living in sin today, you are not living like Jesus. You're willfully giving in and participating in a sinful lifestyle. I'm not going to have you come down, but there's sin in your life. You're not ready for the coming of the Lord and you want to repent of that sin and turn to Jesus right now. Just lift both your hands in the air if that's you in this place. Just lift them high. Just lift them high. Don't hesitate. Don't be embarrassed. Who cares what anyone thinks? We don't care. I see you in the balcony all over this place. If you're online, if you're listening on home, just say it's me. Lift your hands. If you're watching in the community, lift your hands right now. Now all over this place, just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Say, I repent of my sin. Say, it's wrong. It's evil. Say, Jesus, I'm turning to you. Say, Jesus, I'm turning to you. Say, my faith is in you. Say, Holy Spirit, empower me to conquer this sin. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, you're holy, you're holy, you're holy. Jesus, you're holy, you're holy, you're holy. Spirit of God, you're holy, you're holy, you're holy. Now pray, make me holy like you. your dunamis power i pray shame go i pray shame go oh we love let the Lord know how much you love him by telling him out loud and putting your hands together and clapping would you just let him know how much you love him come on tell him we love you Jesus we love you Jesus come on you could do louder than that tell him in the balcony tell him we love you Jesus we love you Jesus we love you Jesus we love you Jesus Pastor Chris, come and join me. I don't think you're done with this moment with the Lord. I believe in your daily encounter this week, when you go meet with the Lord, He's gonna show you how to occupy. He's gonna show you how to steward. I believe He wants to meet with you even more He's going to make us ready. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand and praise. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com.